Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Clock's already at zero, so time's up. I just, every time I get ready for a message, I try, like, should, like, is there a nicer way for me to just kill the mingle? And I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is, but it just would not be genuine. It's not in my personality, so maybe, maybe as I get older, I'll mellow out, but, uh, um, yeah, I've only got, probably not, I've only got four pages of notes today, so we're right on track for about 40 minutes, um, so it should be good. But I want to, first, before I get started, I want to make sure I honor some people. Um, I want to honor my brother, Ike, who, due to several planning center issues, those of you that serve know what planning center is, uh, wasn't supposed to to play this weekend, but then I got slotted to preach, and so we had to move some stuff around, and he's about ready to go on vacation, so it was kind of a deal there, and Rochelle wasn't supposed to be up this weekend, and in fact, she ended up being plan C, and that's not because she's third on the list. It was because I was trying to avoid doubling and tripling her up, and she did it anyway, and then Brennan wasn't supposed to play, um, and he and he stepped in with in like two days, and and, and so, yeah. So I'm incredibly thankful for these people because even though I'm the worship pastor, I'm a little biased. Um, it's been a long time since I've had to play and preach at the same time. In fact, we have a rule. It's in the bylaws somewhere, I think, <laughs> that I don't get to lead worship and, and, uh, and preach in the same weekend. Um, and, and so I want to I honor those people for not being scheduled to do something, but doing it anyway. And every time this happens, it frees me up to just preach and not think about anything else. So for those of you that were here last week, and I think you would agree that it was maybe one of the most powerful, maybe top, I would put in the top five most powerful weekends we've had. Really, I would. The worship was amazing. Again, not biased at all. Um, the preaching was unbelievable. Heidi, I want to honor you as well for listening well and and. and and speaking well, and I'm not saying that because you're a talented speaker, although you definitely are and God has gifted you in that, you listened well. And, and we heard straight from the throne room last weekend, and I love you so much for doing that. Um, so we started, but she explained that we kind of have this series laid out in a very specific order, and we did that very, very, very much on purpose. Okay, first we started out with God Expectations. Okay, that has to be part one. And then part two today is expectation, self-expectations. Okay, you cannot start, right thinking about yourself cannot start unless you start with right thinking about God. You have to start with right thinking about God first. And you might say, Phil, why would you say that? Well, Genesis tells us that we were created in his image. So we must start looking, start with looking towards him and communing with him. And in so doing, he will tell us who we are. He will tell us who we are. Now, the world will tell you that you have to retreat into yourself to figure out what this emptiness is, this brokenness, this pain inside. And I'm using very vague terms like pain and brokenness and emptiness because that, that there's no, we just don't, 
All I know is it hurts. I don't even know why I'm hurting anymore. Dave was talking about that with the freedom ministry. He was, there was generational things that he didn't even realize were affecting him. But the world says, retreat into yourself and you'll figure it out. We as the church then should offer something very different and much better. Yet there is a disturbing trend in the church. So here are a couple of Christian book titles that have been written in recent years. Love Yourself. The Art of Learning to Love Yourself. Celebrate Yourself. You're Someone Special. Self-Esteem. You're Better Than You Think. Now, for all I know, these authors are genuine people that are really trying to help people, help others, and there's probably helpful information in there that was inspired by the Holy Spirit. However, I'm obligated to point out that these titles are a little backwards. Okay? I think they should be... Let's, let's just try it. How about, how about Love God? The art of learning to love God. Celebrate God. God is someone special. God esteem. He's better than you think. Okay? We got to start with God first so he can explain to us who we are and what the problem is. And you might think I'm being a little bit petty and a little bit, you know, nit, nitpicky at these people. But 2 Timothy 3, 3 through 5 was the main inspiration for this message. And let's look at what Paul was warning Timothy about. Let's go ahead and put that up on the screen. Because, you know, I like to use the chalkboard. But know this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for people will be lovers of themselves. And I think we can agree that we're in the last days because difficult times have certainly come. And I think we can also agree that there is a huge epidemic, way infinitely bigger than COVID, of loving yourself. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but if you just go through those things, these are the, what follows in the next couple of verses is this is the outpouring of loving yourself. And none of it's good. How about no interest for what is good? If you love yourself too much, you'll be a traitor, won't you? Because at the end of the day, you're going to protect number one, even at the expense of people that love you, even at the expense of people you supposedly love. At the end of verse four, conceited, loving pleasure rather than loving God. And here's the worst part, maintaining a form of godliness, but denying its power. And then here's checkmate, avoid these people. Paul, one of the most loving people that has ever existed on planet earth is saying, avoid those kinds of people. So I think we can all agree that we don't want to be avoided, right? But do you guys remember that Nate Johnston quote from Drift? It'll have the form and function of something God breathed, but the breath is left. You see how God seems to be speaking to us over and over again and connecting these things? So this form of godliness, the, these kinds of people look righteous, but they're only religious, not actually living up to the true standards of God's word. They tend to promote foolish controversies. And self, extreme self-discipline, in fact, I'll call it self-denial, to the point of denying any and all forms of pleasure which we know is not of God either. Sounds good at first, but it's not going to work. So when we say they deny the power of godliness for true transformation, that's what the verse says. What they're really saying is you and your self-discipline are the source of true transformation. God is not. Now, if you listen to those songs that we played this morning, 
I think we're trying to, you'll probably catch on, we're trying to convey a different message, a, a different option. The world says power of self. We say power of God. Okay, so that's my premise. Power of self versus power of God. So, we, so with that, we're going to reset our expectations for ourselves or realign, if you will, make sure we get on the same page just as a family with a few minutes we have left. And here's the progression we're going to follow. Number one, expect to fail. Number two, expect to do better. And number three, expect to stay better. And as cheesy and football coachy as those three things are, one, I was in sports my whole life growing up, so, well, not a surprise. But two, these things are not going to be quite as cheesy as you might think, at least by God's grace, Holy Spirit's going to do his work and speak through me, I hope. I, I trust that he will. So number one, expect to fail. When I, when I was in sixth grade, uh, you can go ahead and put the picture up there so everyone can bask in its glory. Yeah. I, so I don't know why, like in 2022, we still put kids in triple XL shirts. I, like, I thought that was just like a, like a you know, 90s thing, but it's, they've ne we've never not given kids quadruple XL, you know. But anyway, so in sixth grade, I was on the Peoria Christian traveling basketball team. Whoo, yeah. And we were playing just a normal game against St. Mark's down there by Bradley, right? And very back and forth game. At, at one point, a very, very large member of the basketball team probably should have been playing football, but um, he gets a rebound and he turns like this, totally by accident, not dirty at all, and I was standing behind him. He goes like this, and the fat on his arm um, somehow defeated, hit my face, for, somehow defeated my blink reflex and sucked the contact lens out of my eye. <laughs> and I know that sounds like it's a Jim Carrey movie or something, but I promise you that's exactly how it happened, and it took place too long ago for us to have iPhones to document it. My parents were there. This is what happened. And we looked for it briefly on the floor. We couldn't find it, and so I had to leave the game because I could only see out of one eye. And up to that point, I didn't keep any extra contacts in my bag, although you better believe I always had extra contacts going forward. Yeah. Um, one of my teammates, though, apparently this had already happened to him, he had extra contacts in his bag. So the solution was, well, you can just have one of my contacts for your other eye. So, we agreed that this was the next best option. Uh, so I go to the bathroom, I put the other contact in, and I realized that his prescription is way stronger than mine. Um, I thought I was blind at that time, but he was like super blind. So I, so I come back into the gym, and I have normal vision in this eye, and I could see into outer space with the other <laughs> eye. And I was kind of like, as a, as a sixth grader, I don't know anything about, you know, optometry. I was like, man, I feel like Dr. Fitch is kind of jipping me a little bit because I can see really freaking far with this one. Um, so I finished the game like that. Back and forth game. Final seconds are ticking away. I get the ball wide open on the right side of the court. If I make the shot, we win. If I miss the shot, we lose. Shot goes up, buzzer goes off bricked it horribly. Horrible. And it crushed me. Anyone that knew those circumstances would never have expected me to make that shot. Because if you've played anything, 
that requires depth perception at all, you would know it's really hard to make a basketball shot if you have incorrect vision. In fact, that's a word for somebody. It's really hard to do much of anything if your vision's not good. You got the wrong prescription, the wrong lenses, you're going to screw it up. So, but I wasn't willing to give myself a pass, the slightest pass, even though I should have missed. I should have missed. Now, who cares about sixth grade basketball? It doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of eternity. But the reason why we need to talk about this and why we need to talk about expecting to fail is because some of you in this room or on the podcast are being, you're in shackles right now because some past failure or current failures have become your identity. You see, the enemy is very subtle. He will almost never tell you that you failed. He will tell you that you're a failure, though. And there's a huge difference between those two words because failed is an event, but failure is an identity. Okay, so we got to be really careful when we start hearing those words. And he might be speaking through other people in your life. Maybe you grew up with parents. Keep that up there for a little bit. That's, that's good for somebody today. Maybe your parents were really harsh, and they only pointed out your failures. And when you were growing up, it felt like that's all you heard. But if you were honest with yourself right now, you would, you would admit that your parents did not see all of your failures. Oh, sure, it felt like they did, and they pointed out all of them, but they didn't see all of them. If you were really honest in this moment, you would admit that you are way worse than anyone realizes. Hey, thanks, Phil. That's awesome. Feeling real good, aren't we? And here's the best part. God knows the fullest extent of your failures even more than you do. Well, how can that be? Shouldn't I at least be tied with him in my understanding of my failures? No. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Okay, Jeremiah was speaking to the people of Israel. So he's saying, hey, you and I, us humans, in our own strength and understanding, we have no chance of fully comprehending the problem in here. We can't do it. Who can know it? Well, guess what? God can. In Matthew 19, the disciples are freaking out. They're freaking out. Because they're looking at the standard for salvation in the flesh right in front of them. And the question they ask Jesus is very, very important. There's one word that's very important here. They aren't asking Jesus, how can we be saved? They're saying, who can be saved? Meaning, we've got no shot. Look at him. That's salvation. None none of us are going to attain to that. And Jesus says, you're right. With human beings, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. That verse is not supposed to go in a coffee cup to remind you that you can climb Mount Everest or complete a 5K. That verse, and it's funny, and we can laugh about it, but that verse is solely about the power of God and God alone to conquer the power of sin and death in this world and to give you the gift of salvation. Only the power of God can do stuff like that. That verse is way more powerful than getting you to the top of a mountain. So let's treat it that way with some respect. So the identity that the world wants to give you is 
or the, especially the enemy, is failure. Your identity is failure. Power of self, failure. Power of God, child of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me only when you're winning. Oh, wait, no. It doesn't say that here, does it? You see, if you have placed, repented of your sin, you have turned and you're running towards Jesus, maybe walking, maybe stumbling, and you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, the Most High God, always, not just when you're winning. So your identity is not failure, it should be child of God. So we're going to expect to fail, okay, and we're going to do our best to just get over it now. Okay? Just get over it now. And if you, because if you expect something, you can start to do something about it ahead of time. But we're not going to stay there. Okay? We're not just going, well, I'm just going to fail, so... Okay? We're going to expect to do better. So, two years after that fateful miss, I'm in eighth grade. There's no picture for this one, I'm sorry. We had moved to Tremont. I'm playing on the Tremont eighth grade junior high basketball team, and our team was really good that year. We actually got to the Elite Eight, the final eight teams in the state tournament. And in that Elite Eight game, we were tra- it was very close, we were trailing the whole game. And with about a minute left... Flop gets the ball on the right side of the court in the same spot, eh, probably a little further away <laughs> as before. Nail the shot, and we get our first lead of the game. Unfortunately, uh, we lost the game, but I had succeeded where before I had failed. A couple of quick points. I had two more years of practice. And I had the right prescription in both eyes. Again, that's a word for somebody. That's a word for somebody. And here's, but more importantly, what happened? Two years previously, I could have easily, even as a sixth grader, you don't know anything. And I could have been like, well, I I just miss shots at the end of games, so I'm not going to take them anymore. But my parents, my coach, and every other coach I had after that in every other sport I ever played would never allow me or anybody else on their team, thank the Lord, to accept that kind of identity. And it's just sports again. Who, who cares? Kind of. Except I was getting biblical concepts from them whether they liked it or not, whether they even knew it or not. And so when I got to that point, and here's the other thing, I had no idea that two years after that miss, I would be on a bigger stage with more pressure on the line, more, on the line, more people watching, everything was bigger. I would even get that opportunity. I had no idea. I never made this connection until I prepared for this message, and it was my life. You could never know the opportunities that God's going to place in your life. So you, can do, you have two options. You can accept failure. You can expect to do better even in the face of not knowing if you're ever going to get an opportunity to redeem that moment that you failed. Because honestly, you're not going to redeem that moment. Every moment is unique. You get one opportunity to steward it, and then it's gone. So yes, sixth to eighth grade basketball, I kind of redeemed myself, but every moment was unique. 
and I got one opportunity to steward it, and then it was gone. So whether we're talking about failure in terms of sin or failure in terms of missing a shot in a basketball game, it doesn't really matter. Maybe you didn't dunk a project at work, or maybe, just maybe, you're a father, and you tend to get too angry with your kids, and the enemy is telling you you're a failure. You're a horrible father. You're nothing like your heavenly father. And so in order to protect your children, you're, gonna, you're saying to yourself, I just, I, maybe I just shouldn't speak anymore. You're going to kill him if you do that. Especially a young boy, a son, must hear the voice of his father. Must learn to hear the voice of his father. And the power of God is going to overcome your anger, is going to overcome your failures as a father so that you can grow your sons and daughters into who they are supposed to be. Don't you dare stop talking to your kids. You'll kill them if you stop talking to them. They must hear your voice so that they can learn to hear what his voice sounds like, as flawed as it might be. So we've got we to gotta do better, but How? What are our options? Well, the world offers you self-care, right? The world celebrates self-worship. We call them followers, but really it's self-worship. Encourages you to get as many people as possible to worship you. And then when something happens to you that you don't expect, your twisted view of reality, wrong prescription again, shatters, and you fall into depression. And I'm not like, I'm not like oh, fake depression. No, depression. Okay, and then what do people do? You go on Instagram Live to tell all of your worshipers about your depression so that they can worship you some more and call it sympathy, but worship you some more. And then you write the prescription for yourself. You diagnose and write the prescription for yourself on that live video, and you say, I just, I just need to take some time for self-care. Self-care got you into that hole. And you're just gonna and then you just keep digging it deeper and deeper and deeper, not getting further out. Because when left to ourselves, even with the best, purest intentions, we will inevitably revert to justification of who we currently are instead of submitting to sanctification at the hands of the Lord. Proverbs 21:2 says, the way of a man seems right in his own eyes. So let's try to be a little bit practical. Now, this next section, I'm just going to kind of cover some statements, some styles of talking that both the world uses and the church uses, and I'm, and I'm sure none of you have ever said these things. So it's not really meant for convicting you. It's, more, it's mostly about, for me, and it's for, you know, to prepare you to deal with difficult people, okay? So you've probably never said this, like something like, well, it's just my, you know, it's just my personality, I'm just a little bit of, I'm just kind of nosy sometimes. No, you're a gossip. Okay, no, you're a gossip and you, you're addicted to having secret information, confidential information, and then going to somebody and saying, hey, I'm not supposed to tell you this, so don't tell anyone, but X, Y, Z, and then you do that to 12 people, and that part of your personality sucks. Okay, you're a terrible friend when you do stuff like that. Knock it off, do better, okay? Don't chalk it up to your personality. God didn't make you that way. 
oh, I'm just a realist. Nope, you're negative, and it's killing you. Oh, I just, have, I just have really high expectations for myself. And they're like development opportunities. And I can speak to this with extreme authority because I've dealt with this spirit most of my life. You are under the spirit of perfectionism and it's not developing you, it's killing you because you're being stuck in a prison. So we got to expect to get better, but how does that happen? Self-care is going to do it. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we're being transformed into his image, the image of God, from one degree of glory to another. That sounds like work. But who's doing it? It doesn't say we are transforming ourselves. It's saying we are being transformed. Ephesians 4.15 says we are to grow into him, that is Jesus, in reference to all things, which means your personality is not off limits to this change. It's not off limits. So I guess what I'm trying to say is take some responsibility. Chris talked about this a couple weeks ago. He said we need to release control and amen, a million amens to that. But even he would agree with me on this, that there's actually a tension that we need to navigate here because we need to work on releasing control to the spirit without releasing responsibility. So I've heard so many Christians say things like, I'm just going to let go and let God. You know, Jesus take the wheel and as great as Carrie Underwood is, no. <laughs> no. Holy Spirit, this is how it works, guys. Holy Spirit is giving you the directions, and you must turn the wheel. He will never coerce you into obedience. He might significantly motivate you. He might allow some wandering in the wilderness. He will never turn the wheel for you. He will never coerce you into obedience. Well, I'm just going to pray about it, and we'll see what happens. I mean, maybe, maybe, but we got to be careful with that kind of perspective because you're at, you're running the risk, not guaranteeing, just saying, you're running the risk of turning a loving father into a transactional God that is obligated to respond to you when you put enough prayer pennies and praise into the slot machine. And you might be putting these expectations on God, even though you're making unwise choices in your life. So I prayed about it. Now it's your job to fix it all, God. Well, I prayed about it. Well, you know what may seem un... You know what? we, we got to stop over-spiritualizing the circumstances of our lives. We might pray for months for clear direction on something that's obviously right or obviously wrong, somehow expecting God to like change what His Word says or what the Holy Spirit is telling us through like the 15 people in our lives that would love us. They'd be like, hey, hey. And I, and I have extreme experience with this too. You can go back into the archives and find the message in 2019, I think, when I cried the whole time. There was this extreme work situation I was dealing with, and I took it personally. The weight of the world was on my shoulders. And Holy Spirit was speaking to me very clearly. My wife was speaking to me. The whole front row was speaking to me. Tim Wolf was speaking to me. Everybody was saying the right thing, the same thing. Hey, and nope, I'm going to carry the weight of the world. That's what I'm going to do. And it killed me. Stopped eating. Stopped working out. Didn't sleep well, which means I didn't eat well, which means I didn't spiral down, down, down. So when something happens like that, that we don't expect, usually the first question we want to ask is, well, why did God allow that? 
And that's a good question to ask, and we should spend time contemplating that. But I would propose we start with a different question, which is, what was I asking for and why was I asking him for it? Where was my heart with this request? Well, well, you know what may seem unwise to the world, it might be unwise to the Lord too. Unwise does not always equal stepping out in faith. Risk is another word for that. Risk does not equal stepping out in faith. Sometimes risk will be stepping out in faith. And again, let's try to be a little practical with this. I ask the Lord, how do, how do I decide, how do I determine between the two? Is it just unwise or is it unwise stepping out on faith, right? And he said, well, is there a pattern of good stewardship leading up to this unwise choice? If so, it could very well be a true step of faith that looks unwise to the world. But if there's a pattern of poor stewardship leading up to that choice, what you're really saying is, well, we're kind of at a breaking point now and we don't have too many other options. And so we're going to step out, we're going to hide behind it and step out in faith so that God has to honor my stepping out in faith. Okay? So we got to do better. Well, and we said, okay, power of self versus power of God. Well, how is God going to do this? Very famous verse, 2 Timothy 1.7. For God has not given us a spirit of, it usually says fear there, but I chose cow, a translation that says cowardice, and I, that word cowardice is actually a better translation from Greek to English. Uh, but of power and love and self-discipline. Super famous verse, right? Everybody knows that one. This word cowardice is the Greek word delia, which refers to cowardice that results from lack of moral strength. Okay? Again, we got to make sure we use this verse correctly. It's not talking about being afraid of the dark or being afraid of heights or being afraid of taking a new job or being afraid of like this, like demonic oppression in the spiritual realm. It's cowardice that results from a lack of moral strength to endure once you choose to become a follower of Jesus. But what does he give us? Power, love, and self-discipline. Wait a second, I thought you were like hating on all the self-stuff, and I am. I'm, re I'm rebuking it in the spiritual realm is what I'm doing. Okay? Because self-discipline that comes from your own strength will fail. This verse very clearly states, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice, but God has given us a spirit of his power, his love, and his self-discipline. These are the three weapons that he's giving us. And here's the best part. He doesn't just give us these weapons and say, good luck. He's going to train us too. Let's go to Psalm 144. This verse, this passage, this Psalm of David, there it is again, David, uh, is so special to me because my dear friend... Rochelle shared this passage as part of a prophetic word specifically for me several months ago. So Rochelle, I want to honor you for listening well and sharing this with me. And this verse, although it was personal for the word that you gave for me, it's now 
being used again for a prophetic word for this church. So we're going to preach kind of the rest of the message together, if that's okay with you guys. Okay, Psalm 144.1 says, Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Now, that should make you feel really awesome. Okay, that should make you feel really strong, really bold. Your chest puffs out a little bit. Your shoulders come up. Your head comes up. Okay, but here's the word. And I said, okay, God, what's, what, what do you have here for us? Well, when he says, trains my hands for war, how many wars are you going to fight? One. There, there's one war. That's from now into the rest of your life. It's you fighting against the darkness and expanding the kingdom of God for the rest of your life. There's one war. Okay, but a war is made up of many battles. So when it says trains our hands for a war, what, he, what we're talking about is he's giving you the brute strength, the enduring strength to hold that sword and that shield for the rest of your life. Now, your fingers, tiny little muscles that are for, they're not very strong, but they do very precise movements. Okay, anyone that's ever like shot a bow and arrow before or a gun, those of you that went through the CCL class, you know that tiny little adjustments with your grip, your fingers, can have a significant impact on how accurate you are when you shoot. So God, when he strengthens our fingers for battle, there's going to be many battles throughout this war and many different tactics are going to be required at many different times to win these battles under many different conditions. Because some battles are going to take place in a valley, and some are going to be on a mountaintop, and some are going to be in the dark, and some are going to be in the cold, and some of them are going to be in the desert. And he's so into the details that he will speak to you specific tactics at specific times to win specific battles in specific conditions. Is any, have I said specific enough? Okay. You might even have some battles, there might be a large army around you and you're feeling real confident, and some battles there might be a few close friends by your side. Same thing. Specific tactics for specific battles. So I could go, I could give you a billion examples of specific tactics, I think. But the one that, I'll just do one. Again, trying to be as practical as possible. Take responsibility even when it's not your fault in a leadership situation. And I know most of you are like, oh, I'm not a leader, so I don't need to listen. Yeah, most of you are leaders. You just don't maybe recognize it at the moment. Take responsibility publicly in front of the team, not an email, okay? <laughs> publicly in front of the team when something goes south, okay? Even if it's not your fault as the leader. And then privately, take the one person or two people aside that were more responsible than you for the failure. Maybe they're more direct cause. Take them aside privately and coach them after you took responsibility publicly. Can you do that a few times? Your team will follow you anywhere. Because most of the time, that team member knows what they did wrong, and they know that it was kind of more their fault than yours. But when you lead from the front instead of manage from the back... People feel loved. They don't just feel like they have a boss. They feel loved. Hey, you know what? Sorry, guys. 
I, I didn't communicate that clearly enough. I didn't communicate that soon enough. I'm going to fix it and then actually fix it and then take that member, team member aside privately. They will run through a brick wall for you. So we're going to expect to fail. Then we're going to expect to do better. And then we're going to expect to stay better. Because complete freedom and healing is what we're after, right? I don't want to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. Shout out to Freedom Ministry. Sign up. Complete freedom and healing is only possible with God. The best the world can offer you is treatment of symptoms. Does that make sense? Treatment of symptoms versus complete freedom and healing. Okay, Philippians 3, 12 and 13 says, hey, Paul said, hey, not that I've already obtained this. I'm not already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. I'm taking responsibility because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's healing me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, stepping forward. That's a very church 214 phrase right there, to what lies ahead. Yeah, we failed. And we're going to get better, and then we're going to fail again, and we're going to get better, and then we're going to, at, there will come a time of complete breakthrough, complete healing, and that stuff is left behind. Philippians 1, 5 and 6. Paul's telling the Philippians, because of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, because you've been putting in the work, working out your salvation, convinced of this same thing, that the one who began a good work in you will finish it until the day of Christ Jesus. The one who's actually doing the transforming will finish what he started. The question is, are you going to release control to him and are you going to take responsibility? Now, I, I must say this. Practically speaking, some of you need medication. You need a doctor, you need medication. Some of you need therapy. Some of you need rehab for a time. But those things are not meant to be permanent. Those things are not your identity. Because it is a scientific and spiritual fact that the chemical imbalance that's messing with you in the physical can be partially, if not completely, healed if you use your body the way it was designed to be used. And at the risk of offending people, I am talking about working out, eating as well as you can, sleeping as well as you can, and before you start to email, let me be very clear about this. I'm not asking you to become LeBron James. He spends a million dollars a year on his body. No one's asking you to become a professional athlete. No one's asking you to become a supermodel. What I'm saying is none of you in this room are going to argue with me if I say, hey, you know, the Bible tells you to steward your finance as well. The Bible says to be careful with alcohol. The Bible says to steward your relationships well. Well, the Bible is telling you to steward your body well, too. God designed it to work a specific way and take in specific things and not take in other specific things. And if you do that, good things happen. If you don't steward it well, it starts to fail. I'm not talking about knee pain and back pain because you're getting older, okay? 
I'm talking about the chemical imbalance in the physical that starts to happen in your mind will open up doorways in the spiritual to, to your mind and soul and your heart that the enemy will jump through faster than you recognize. The physical and the spiritual connected. We talk about this all the time. Take care of that stuff in the physical and that door is going to stay shut a lot longer in the spiritual. And let's go back to the ideal Genesis in the garden. Because that's, for a time in the garden, everything was perfect, right? What were Adam and Eve told to do? Tend the garden. And then what did God say? Fill the earth and subdue it. Okay, that did not mean just have babies and let them, you know, they have babies and they have babies and they have, that's not, that's, and, and have burgers, you know, like subdue it, take the animals and kill them and have red meat. Although we, we glory in that, don't we? We certainly glory in red meat, but no, what he's, what God's telling them to do is I put you two in this small little garden right here. And as long as you don't eat from that tree and you eat from all the other trees, you're going to live forever and you're going to have babies, and they'll have babies, and they'll have babies, and I want you to teach them to do what I have taught you, and I want you to teach them to make the entire planet like this little garden I've given you. That's what fill the earth and subdue it was. I've made this place perfect. Now have babies and teach them how to make everything perfect, and it would have gone that way, but they chose power of self over the power of God. Adam and Eve did not receive a mandate to a sedentary lifestyle. It wasn't just sitting, laying around eating fruit. They were told to work, and they loved it. And I promise you this. In the new heaven and the new earth, you're going to be working. Because the original plan was for us to make this entire planet like the Garden of Eden, and that's what we're going to be doing. You're not going to be wearing a white robe sitting on a cloud singing a song that you don't like. Okay? You're going to be tending a garden. You're going to be working. And you're going to love it. So as we close out, I want to go back to Psalm 144. Because we, we focus a lot on the generational impact of things here. Right? Dave talked a lot about it with the video. Psalm 144, 12. This is really, really, really cool. David says, May our sons in their youth be like plants full grown, our daughters like corner pillars cut for the structure of a palace. So expect to fail, expect to do better, expect to stay better. God is going to give us his spirit of power and love and self-discipline, and then he's going to train our hands for war and our fingers for battle, specific, specific tactics for specific times with the strength to endure. And the impact of what happens when we find, we submit to his will, submit to his healing, and we cut things off today that's going to ripple to our sons and daughters and to their sons and daughters and to their sons and daughters. And what that will look like is this. So our sons in their youth, Benny, how old are you? 15. So it is possible for a 15-year-old boy to demonstrate the spiritual maturity of someone who's been in the faith 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. That's what this says, Okay. So in their youth, he's gonna, they're going to be like plants full-grown. What do full-grown plants do? 
shade for the weary. They produce fruit for those who are hungry. Holy cow, what is, what, does that, is that an awesome picture yet? And then what's going to happen for our daughters? Oh, they're like little flowers that grow. Nah, no, I love this. Like corner pillars cut from stone for the structure of a palace. Stability, strength, grace, humility, holding up the palace. They're not statues, they're pillars. It's not pretty, but it's strong, right? Because the focus is on what? It's on him. Focus is on him, but we're holding up this palace. The sons are producing fruit and the women are holding up the palace. Man, that's cool. So let's cut off the generational stuff now. Because I want to see that. I think we all want to see that. So the, the, the altar's open. You guys can stand up on your feet. You can close your eyes. You can get in the aisle. You can come forward. Um, it's time to, it's time to suit, to make a choice. We're at a fork in a road in this moment. We can choose to be lovers of self and deny the power of God, or we can choose to love God and receive the power of God. This is what's at stake. Some of you in this room are harboring bitterness against your parents because they pointed out too many of your failures and it hurt you. And then you discovered something later in life. Something that they struggled with, a standard they weren't holding up well, and now you're even more bitter because you're saying, you hypocrite. You were hurting me, giving me this impossible standard to hold up to, and you weren't even holding up a portion of that standard. You hypocrite. And you know what that is? That's awful, and that should hurt. But another way to look at that, if I may, aren't you glad that they did their best to hold you to a standard that was good for you? Like they were trying to walk you down that path of righteousness toward God and yes they didn't uphold their end of the bargain at all and yes they said the wrong things at the wrong time and, but, the, but the truth that they were trying to move you in the direction of you needed that so yes your father failed you in that yes your mother failed you in that but that's kind of to be expected right the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So there's some people in this room that need to start, start the process of forgiving their parents because the enemy is holding you back with that bitterness. you got to forgive them. 
you got to release control of that situation. And you got to take responsibility and forgive. Some of you are ready to give up right now. Hey, there's room for you here. There's been many times throughout the history of this church, as young as it is, where the leaders, the ones who founded it, had moments of, I'm not sure if I can, if I can do this next weekend. So if you're ready to give up, it's okay. He's here for you. We are here for you. We are ready to pray with you. He's ready to meet you, maybe for the first time, maybe for the millionth time, and heal you. Begin the process of healing you. He will give you the strength to endure and the specific tactics you need to go forward to conquer this permanently. God, right now we cast out the spirit of rebellion. We cast out the spirit of self. It has no place in this room. You are the only thing we have room for in this place. Holy Spirit, right now, touch every single heart in this room and begin to show them who you are and what you're here for. You're not here to crush them. You're here to heal them. It's the only thing you're interested in right now is healing them. And drawing them to yourself. And you will never let them go. No matter how much they run from you, you will never let them go. No matter how much you fail, they fail you, you will never let them go. cast out the spirit of pride, the spirit of suicide, the spirit of depression. They are gone. They have no power in this room right now. We trust in the power of your name. We trust in the power of your love. We trust in the power of your self-discipline. How disciplined of you to never leave us. How loving of you to never leave us. How powerful of you to conquer Satan and sin and death forever and give us a way into your presence forever. Oh, that we would begin to comprehend that in this moment. Jesus.